Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Commitment Matters. Paul Stein of Close Simple is back with us today, and he offers us another energetic shot in the arm to help us think about doing our business in some different ways. Listen, we know you're tired. We know everyone is really itching for spring to get here and for it to stay. We know you're trying to regroup and recharge, and we're trying to deliver episodes right now that will help with that. So Paul brings some thoughts to share about the difference in scaling your business versus growing your business. And the term scaling gets tossed around often in our world, but what does it really mean? What qualifies as something scaling versus it growing? He'll break it down for you. And speaking of growing your business, Paul and I also talk about how to choose what changes to make. Here's a hint. Go out in the world. Observe. Ask. Don't prescribe the medicine without first asking the patient where it hurts. We give you a simple acronym that can help you remember where to go to get your new ideas. You might not think you know about Nahito, but odds are you know more than you think you do. For example, if your car has a feature that will pop open the trunk when you swipe your foot underneath it, you're the beneficiary of the kind of fan-creating results that can be achieved by going out and observing your customers in their natural habitat. Now, when shopping for a car, you probably wouldn't think to grinch to the salesperson that you had to press a button on a remote clicker to open the trunk. That salesperson could have asked you 10 or even 20 questions about what you wanted in a car and what you disliked about your current car, and you wouldn't have reached the foot swipe trunk opening move on the list. And yet, by doing ride-alongs with car owners as they went through their day, looking for points of irritation or minor inconveniences, guess what they found? Yep, car owners jockeying, trying to open the trunk with their hands while they were full of other items. And voila, the foot swipey method of trunk opening was born. Will it change the world? Probably not. But does it delight an owner who realizes that their car maker actually gets them? This one who actually anticipated a need that the car owner didn't even realize would make a nuisance list if they were asked to provide one? You bet it does. Your customers are waiting for you to find new ways to delight them. We'll see if we can help. Paul and I also talk about the importance of having a good change management plan. You might be hearing lots about this topic this year as everyone tries to sort out how to achieve more results with fewer resources. Here's another hint. Working with an easily executable change management plan can really make the difference between success and failure in your new initiatives, whether they're large or small. Now, please enjoy this conversation with the future facing, the idea generating, the engaging, Mr. Paul Stein. Well, Paul, welcome to Commitment Matters. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you so much, Mary. I'm really excited to be here. Well, there's a lot going on out in the world right now as agents are coming off the breakneck pace that they had, both from a volume perspective and an essential worker perspective, when uh, all everybody seemed to want to do during the pandemic was buy a house. And as the uh, rates are doing what they're doing and the market has done what it's done, a lot of agents are looking around and wondering how can they, I'm going to use a term here that you might want to argue with, grow their business 
we need to talk them through some things that they can do to maybe stretch without maybe adding a lot of additional burden cost. You're very well in touch with what's going on out there. I probably didn't encapsulate that properly. So if you would set the table for us, that would really help. It's interesting. I was emailing with a realtor friend of mine just the other day, and I said, how many times has someone asked you in the past, call it three to four months, how does this market affect your business? And I think like, can you imagine like the audience that we have out here? It's like, how many times can we get asked? Oh my goodness, the market, like, what is that doing? And your question's a really good one. And kind of how I've been thinking about a little bit, Mary, is like, instead of asking the question, how does this market affect our business today? I love this question of like, how does this market actually affect your strategy? Because look, the market always affects our business. The market affected our business in 2018, 2019, and obviously through the pandemic in an entirely different way. And it's the folks out there that are thinking, I think about it from that perspective of, okay, even if they weren't planning for this, which I think a lot of people were, what are we doing today to make sure that as we move forward, that we're positioning our businesses in the best way, whether it's grow or maintain or do whatever that next phase of our strategy is, maybe it's just regroup. Right. I'm hearing like, Half the people are going, I can't do anything right now. You know, cash is too tight. And half are going, I finally have a minute to breathe and actually work on my business. I think that's where I'd love to just sit a little bit and even hear from you. How does this market affect your strategy and what you're doing today? We're like you. We hear much the same information from agents, regardless of what their expertise or market focus areas are or where they are geographically. Everybody says a version of exactly that. We know we need to make changes. We know we haven't been able to make changes for years. We've been too busy. And now that we have the time to make changes and contemplate those, now the mindset is one of scarcity, which is we're not sure how protracted this is going to be. We don't know that it's a good time to spend money. And we've had several agents, I'll bet you've heard this exact same thing, that have said, Oh, listen, I thought after things slowed down, I was going to find a new software solution or implement whatever, but now I'm choosing to, instead of purchasing a new module or or whatever, I'm not going to do that now. And I'm, because if I had that expense outlay, I would need to cut staff. So I'm going to keep my staff instead. Are you guys hearing that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think... What's interesting is we kind of hear from hot markets across the country. I forget if I was talking to someone in Nashville or Memphis and they're like, purchases are kind of just the same. You know, we really haven't seen much of a dip. So I think there's some markets from a purchase side of business that are a little less affected possibly. But I mean, even the best ratioed title companies out there, obviously feeling the effects of the refis not being there. I'll sort of tell a story about a friend of mine again, this gentleman I was talking to in real estate. He owns a a nice Angle and Volkers brokerage here in the Minneapolis area. And I've watched him over the course of his career, which has been about 15 years now, every time the market has softened or things have gotten weird. He's the guy who's always investing, always investing. I mean, they just announced in the middle of this crazy market a move to one of the hottest spots in Minneapolis to have a brick and mortar. And I've just continued to see that. And here he is, you know, 15 years into his career as a broker with 75, 80 advisors, 
and like continuing to double down when the market softens. And again, I think, you know, you can look at it from the mindset of, I just can't commit that. I don't know where we're going. But I think like for me, when I think about strategy and people ask me, what are you doing to get business today? And I'm going, I'm not really trying to get business today. I'm trying to set up three, six, nine, 12 months from now, as we start to come back saying, are we having the right conversations today that set us up to have success over the course of this year as we look into next year? And some of that is people making good decisions to position themselves to be able to do that right now. And some of that is just a mindset I think of, I'm going to continue to invest. That's how we grow even in markets that are interesting. Let's call it that, like what we have today. And so we're having the same conversations with our clients and prospects, as I'm sure agents are with their potential sources of business, which is, yeah, maybe you don't have a whole lot to send me today, but what can we be doing in the meantime? How can we tweak the dials? How can we readjust things? And and it might be new offerings in some cases, but I think then that really leads people into a good conversation. And I know you feel strongly about this. Let's talk a little bit about the difference between thinking about how to grow your business and thinking about how to scale your business. What are the differences? What should people be thinking about? I think each business is at sort of a different crossroads today, but just to kind of think about the terms, let's talk about growth. Growing your business looks like it takes 10 people to close 10 files. It takes 20 people to close 20 files. That's obviously you're going to see sort of a consistent ratio between cost and revenue. And when we think about scaling, what we're trying to figure out is if we can close 10 files with 10 people, how do we close 20 files with 11 people? How do we start to implement the processes, the procedures, maybe the technology that allows us to scale? You know, again, how do we have costs that are at a very like, you can't see my hand, but I'm doing like a very slow growth costs and a very high growth revenue and it's hard. You know, I mean, scaling a business is the hardest thing to do. It's easy when you have 10 files and a staff of two. It's really hard when you start to go, okay, how am I going to increase my business while not just continuing to add more and more staff? So, I mean, like from a definition perspective, maybe everybody kind of knows that, but I think maybe we all don't think about our businesses in that way. We have a lot of those similar conversations with agents who when they think about growth and the market conditions are what they are right now, they tend to kind of come up short because their first place their brain goes to is what's going to be kind of the next wave of transactions. Is it going to be REOs? Is it going to be reverse mortgages? Is it, what's it going to be? And and then their secondary line of thinking, even if they identify one of those is, well, all my competitors are going to be going after that too. So, you know, we're all kind of fish gobbling after the same breadcrumbs and we're not going to be able to achieve the growth we want that way, which leads them into sort of some, mm, what's the phrase I want to use? Uh, defeatist thinking of, well, I really can't impact the market. The Federal Reserve is doing what the Federal Reserve is doing. I can't do anything about demographics of buyers and owners. I can't do anything about the, you know, we're still out out of balance with homes for sale. So maybe I need to start thinking about cuts instead. And that's where I think you enter, and we try to too, but you guys certainly enter into the position of, 
Well, let's talk about scale because scale should be elastic, right? It should be able to move up and down and it shouldn't require firing a bunch of people to scale down. And conversely, it shouldn't mean hiring a bunch of people when it's time to scale up. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. You know, we talk about technology and you've been around this industry long enough to know it gets pretty buzzwordy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've been talking about blockchain and we've been talking about AI for years. And, you know, it's like, oh my goodness, the robots are coming has been like a topic at every single title conference. There won't be any humans anymore. (laughs) For the past however long. We think about it a little bit differently because when we can start to use technology to take tasks off of people's plates that are not strategic, that are simply just checking boxes or making phone calls that technology can help us with, it allows us to, okay, maybe there's a staff reduction opportunity, but I believe it's much more about getting a staff that's more strategic. The escrow officer is out having lunch instead of out just shooting emails off or making phone calls. Same with the escrow processors, paralegals, you name it. And I think if we can start thinking about I have this staff today. How do we put them in position to actually contribute to the growth of my business versus just maintaining? We can start to gain a lot of opportunity. So I don't know what you think about that, but I, you know, sometimes I think we think technology can help us reduce when I think technology can allow us to get more strategic and drive people into opportunities to grow the business. Yes. And I love the example you gave of For example, escrow folks already have relationships. Yes, you probably have sales and marketing folks who that's their primary job, but your escrow folks, for example, but not exclusively, also have those relationships. And so when you said instead of escrow officer sitting at their desk, sending out emails for next Monday's closing, trying to get answers or, you know, whatever it is we have them doing, to have them out doing sales and marketing, to have them out deepening those relationships I want to introduce a phrase to the listeners that they probably don't know. We know it in the tech world, and it's an acronym. The acronym is NIHITO, N-I-H-I-T-O, and it stands for Nothing Interesting Happens in the Office. (laughs) Yes, you have to go produce. Yes, that's where you're going to do the, the majority of your heavy lifting from a production standpoint. But finding out what to produce, why do people love what you produce, what changes would they recommend for you, what market problems are out there that you can uniquely solve. You don't learn the answers to that inside your office. You have to have a Nahito day. And I'm thinking, man, if you could have a closer, have two or three Nahito days a month out there with your agents, out there having those conversations, the ideas part that we talked about a lot last time with Bill can really, I think, start to come fast and furious because you're not having to come up with them. Yeah. Well, and you're hearing from your customers. One thing I love that Bill did when we even first started thinking about what Close Simple could become. This is before we even called it Close Simple. Was he said, "I'm going to take 20 agents out to coffee and just listen to them, basically, or tell them about the idea we had." And I would assume that we have capacity on our escrow teams right now to be out meeting with people. And guess who else has time right now? all of the realtors, all of the loan officers, these folks have time and it's going to be the people who are investing in exactly what you're talking about. I love that. Nothing interesting happens in the office. Mm -hmm. Get out there. Get out there. And, you know, maybe just start with, can you do one or two coffee meetings? You know, in some states, you've got to be careful about what you even buy, but, you know, you can just show up or go for a walk or 
if you don't live where we live in Minnesota, you can get outside yeah. and just, you know, make those connections. Maybe it's someone who you used to work with or, you know, what have you. And, and again, we're talking about sort of just very straightforward things that aren't necessarily tech related at all, but they're the types of activities that we can start to get into while we have this capacity right now. Cause it's the people who are doing that right now They're going to be there and ready when things start coming back, whether that's 6, 12, 18, 24 months from now. All this stuff matters and the investment that you're putting in the strategic activities that you're dealing with. I like that though, Mary. Nothing interesting happens in the office. (laughs) You have to Nahito. Nahito. Otherwise you're in a bubble. Yes. What you knew was broken six months ago that you think you fixed. How are you going to know if you fixed it right, if you need to do more? How are you going to know? You got to go ask. Yep. And then follow it up with, and what else do you need? (laughs) And what else would you need? Bill and I talked a lot about what if. Well, what if? Well, a great companion question is what else? Because your customers have the ideas for you. They just don't know that you want to hear them. I got to tell the story, Mary, because I thought it was interesting. Bill and I hosted the Minnesota Land Title Association Conference this summer. And we invited a realtor to come and sort of like do this sort of introduction. And then he came back on the second day and and spoke to the team. And it was interesting because I was watching him kind of like walk around the room at sort of the opening reception night. And this is a very well-known realtor who's very accessible in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And he had never heard the type of feedback from title and escrow folks (laughs) that it was frustrating working with realtors ever. (gasps) He's been doing this for almost 20 years, you know, and it's like- It was very interesting to see him come back on stage at day two and go, well, I learned a lot last night, you know, and (laughs) to his credit, you know, I think he's taken that back and like really implemented some interesting things to say, how can we be better partners? But you know what that tells me? We're not out talking to our customer. And at the end of the day, we're not. So anyway, I think it illustrates your point again. And gosh, there's just so much opportunity right now to get in front of a very captive audience going, I don't know what's going on. I'm concerned. And even just someone reaching out and saying, hey, let's connect on this can be super impactful. It can be super impactful. And in in our defense, I will say, I think there are two factors that kind of contribute to that. One, we tend to be, most of us in this business, introverts that can play extroverts on TV for a few minutes, but it's not our first nature. We have to kind of cajole ourselves into doing it. Mm-hmm. But secondly, when we do get out there and then we think, well, we're going to tell people what they need to know. And then we, once you've done that about once, you realize nobody really wants to hear the finer points of encumbrances and impertinences. And so we tend to, once we have gone out and we get that reaction, which if we thought about it would be kind of no duh, but then we kind of come back in our house and we go, well, they don't care what we do. And we, you know, we get this, we're at the bottom of the food chain, the bottom of the pecking order. Nobody really cares what we think or feel. That's just a misnomer. It just means we've been going out and talking about what we wanted to talk about instead of what they want to talk about. And it's different. Yeah, I agree. You know, and I think this gets into like opportunities for scale a little bit. And I'll come back to Bill's example. So when we first started thinking about Close Simple, we had an idea. It wasn't a great idea. We don't even need to get into what it was. 
But we went out and we showed it to people and they said, ah, I'm not interested. It's not that good. You know, but we learned a lot about, and at the time our target customer was realtors, we learned a lot about them to the degree where we came back and said, okay, you didn't like our first idea. What about this? And then we actually went and executed it against it. So queuing up a conversation with a key customer or a referral from a key customer or something that way to say, what are you looking for? in a title company, in a, you know, attorney relationship, and then listening and turning around and going back and saying, okay, this is what we're doing. Is this the type of thing you're looking for in a partnership? You can turn that one conversation into a series where by the end of it, they're going, wow, this person's actually listening to me. That's where you can start to think about in these times, whether it's a financial commitment or not, or just a process upgrade, or we'll start doing this instead of that man, there's just a lot of opportunities to just be hearing from the customer right now. And maybe we don't need to continue on this thread. We've been on it for a little bit, but there's great ideas here in terms of what you're saying about how we can get out and talk to folks. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, another place that people start thinking about, you know, a lot of people, again, they've they've come to this pause in the road and they're thinking, okay, what I know I need to be doing something. What should I be doing? And a lot of people's first thought is I need to change my production capability. So they start thinking about like core softwares, right? Well, maybe I need to change my core software. Maybe I've been on this one a long time. Maybe that would probably give me my the increased efficiencies that I need. And it can, but dirty little secret, it's between most systems, it's really only probably going to be incremental change and certainly not within the first six months it's in use, you're going to have a productivity dip because it's new for everybody and you're having to set it up and tweak it. And, and so it's a, it can really frustrate people because again, it's, it w- tends to be one of the first things they think about. It's a big dollar investment and they not only don't see the expense savings that they had hoped to quickly, but they have a dip in productivity initially. So they get very frustrated where you guys I think are a little bit different. And I am hoping we can help change some thoughts into not having that first big expensive thought, but instead of how can I change my production, where can I find efficiencies there? Let's start looking about how can I extend my solution via integrations, via some parts that I've only partially implemented or haven't implemented yet, that those have been my planes. So I'd love for you to sort of set the stage for people about extensibility how they should think about it and how they should talk to their market about it. Should they take a features and functions approach? Should they take a problem exists, problem solved approach? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. We'll always be a fan of problem first. You know, if there is no problem, then it's really tough to go back and say, okay, here's the solve for something that maybe folks don't need. So I love that. It's interesting that you bring up production or efficiencies that way. And we just love looking at what's the customer experience as a huge way to have big time impact in your market or within your current customer base or across your prospects. Customer experience is a big one. Over the last five years, we've obviously seen just out in the real world, if you will, obviously like closing on your house is part of the real world too. But outside of like our little bubble, we've come to a expect a level of service, a level of transparency, a level of this is how I should be communicated to in anything that we do, whether it's ordering an Uber or whether it's we talk about the Domino's pizza tracker all the time, but like 
ordering a pizza. I ordered Jimmy John's the other day. They were like, we're going to walk you through our process. I'm like, I don't really care, but it's cool that you show it to me. I'm not worried that the Jimmy John's is likely showing up. And I think anything that we do today, there's just a totally different expectation from the consumer on how things should go. That in terms of evaluating what's my customer experience is a really interesting place to start. And then there's quite a few options out there in terms of how we can start to layer onto systems that are hard to change with things that can start to either be core to our experiences, surprise and delight, you name it. But just thinking about maybe just an area to start it. And I think customer service is an interesting one. And what we found, at least, is when you focus there, there's a lot of trickle down opportunities from a efficiencies perspective, too. But so I think just like identifying where do we need to get better, whether that is the is in like, gosh, stuff just always gets stuck here or I actually do need new processes in my production process or if it's customer experience. You know, I'm sure there's other areas we can think about, too, from an extending your core software perspective. Yeah. And those sorts of add-ons, also ands, integration, whatever people want to tell them, those can be very small incremental costs, not much cheaper than throwing the baby out with the bathwater and much easier to realize whether your goal is increased revenue, decreased expenses, or both. And that's the sweet spot, both. And that's one of the reasons I love what you guys do so much is it, it hits both sides of that profit equation, the revenue and expenses. But that's where you can do a little and get larger rewards as opposed to, you know, the opposite, which is spending a lot of money and at least initially not seeing the rewards that you had hoped. One of the things I wanted to ask you about is I really see a need for especially the owners and upper level managers to kind of familiarize themselves with some core concepts of change management. And I don't see Anybody necessarily out there talking about that right now? I might pitch to Bill that maybe we ought to do those classes in tandem, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on change management a little bit, how you experience it out in the world. What are some of the facets of when it goes well? What are some of the experiences when it hasn't gone well, say at a client site? It's a great question. you know. And I think if I had a silver bullet for this, Maybe I wouldn't be doing title software, to be honest. But no, I'm just kidding. Change management is hard. Let's just call it what it is. What we've seen from like the best, say, implementations that we do are the best adoptions of change really comes down to, I think, a lot of conviction at the ownership or the management level. Like this is something we are going to invest in. And it's they don't really do it from a if you don't do this, then pack your bags, you're out of here perspective. They don't do that. What they do is they sort of go, we're going to live and breathe this at the core of what we do. This is going to be something that we are into, that we're aligned on from a leadership team perspective, as well as just how we're going to start to operate as an organization. What's interesting, we've been in an industry where from the American Land Title Association, like a lot of discussion about core values. And I think like even starting at like, what do we represent and how are we gonna tie that into where we are going as an organization? It's something that like is something you can actually have anchors in the ground on and tie a lot of your decision-making to so that it's got a little bit of like backbone, if that makes sense. This isn't just a flash in the pan. It's not something that I saw 
you know, an 800 number I'm going to call watching TV late at night or whatever around the new pan or whatever you're buying (laughs) at 1130 at night when you're watching TV. It's the leadership teams that like have that conviction and then they have the staff to actually like execute it across the organization. And then they always have a champion. They always have someone they can count on to say, this is where we're going. Help us go there first so that we can actually turn around and show the rest of the organization the success we're having. Maybe it's the ease of use. Maybe it's the change. Like, wow, we we started doing it. Look at what it's done to our business so that they can start to bring everyone else along. I think the other thing is like, and, and this is just a concept we have, that if you think about change management from an everyone perspective, it's tough. You're maybe not going to get 100% of people to buy in. But if you can think about your business from the perspective of we're not going to let 5% of our people dictate 100% of our behaviors, we're just not going to do that. We're going to make decisions that make sense for the organization, knowing that there may not be 100% people coming out. We talk about that from like, an automation perspective. Don't let 5% of your weird orders dictate 100% of your behaviors. You know, like there's this huge chunk of opportunity. And I think, again, you have to be thinking about that as you're getting into it. So I don't know if those are helpful or not. I really think that strong leadership team, tying your decisions to values that mean something to the organization, and then just making sure you have early champions to really drive the initiative forward. I agree. I think that's very, very good advice. And, you know, it's also true that when you're looking at a potential solution, like, you know, somebody might run into you, me, or anybody else at a conference and and what is it you do? And well, I have a special cotton candy cart that says, congratulations on your closing. And I will deliver that cotton candy to your office every day. So let's sign a contract and let's go forth with cotton candy at closing. And If you had surveyed your staff and more importantly, surveyed your customers, and if they would have said, well, you know, I, I just would sort of like it to remind me when I come to closing, I'd like it to remind me of when I was little and went to the fair. I'd like that. Well, then that's something, I mean, that's ridiculous, obviously to illustrate (laughs) the point, the solution has to line up with a problem that you want to solve, that you agree is a legitimate problem. And I think so many times I'm going to pick on a market segment and, you know, I love you guys, but I'm going to pick on you. So for somebody to hear, I look out for somebody to hear, oh my gosh, we can figure out a way to accept cryptocurrency for closings. Well, if you have an initiative that you want to increase that, great. Then that's something you're going to naturally lean towards some of your staff, not all, but you would never assume that a hundred percent of your buyers and borrowers want to come in and pay with cryptocurrency. And so I say that to say two things. One, if it's not a strategy that's important to you, don't entertain it. Just go, that's not a match. And everything doesn't have to be a match for you as a buying customer. Just the same that every initiative you do undergo doesn't have to be a match for every one of your buyers, sellers, realtors, whatever. It isn't one size fits all. It's just not. That's a great point. You know, I kind of dive into, okay, we have this initiative. How do we actually push it through? But like even determining what you're going to do, like having sort of that well-defined decision criteria, or again, back to core values. If your core value is fun, cotton candy might make sense. If your core value is innovation and you're going to do that first crypto deal, it makes a ton of sense because it aligns with where you're trying to go as an org. 
So, I mean, you really make a good point when you talk about from a strategic perspective, where are you going as an organization? Start there. Do you have a strategic direction? Do you have some of those sort of like pillars in place that you can then start to tie decisions to? And hopefully you've been making decisions around those for a while and you've got the staff that aligns with those. So when you come with, here's a new idea, that it's not surprising because innovation is a part of what we're going to do around here and modernization or whatever that might look like. Or maybe you're starting at zero and you know you need to establish some of those things. That's a lengthier process. But even starting to think about that today so that you can start making better decisions six, 12, 18 months from now and start to infuse the type of culture that you want, all of a sudden change management starts to look a lot different as you're hammering on this is where we're going, this is where we're going, this is where we're going. Very well said. And that provides you with a clarity to that because I think so many people get tripped up on tactics, hoping that the tactics will roll up into an outcome that may or may not have been strategic, but we're just assuming it's going to be in a positive bucket. When you work from strategy then down to tactic, it it helps you decide a lot of things, what to do, what to not do, what to purchase, what to not purchase, what markets to go try to plumb, what ones to let them alone for a while, let them mature, or do whatever they need to do. And then it, it's just such a good decision-making metrics. Because otherwise, I mean, you've walked the exhibit halls of these shows the sky is the limit. I mean, and if you don't know which one of those things provides a tactic that supports one of your strategies, then you either go around and sign up with everybody and really execute nothing well, or you sign up with no one because you're not sure which one's the right thing to do. It's well said. Sometimes we just need to know what to not pursue. We can never be everything to everyone. And it's actually those that try to do that, that don't focus that have the hardest time, let's go back to growth and scale. You can't scale if you do 50 things and okay. You can really scale if you do a couple, handful, maybe one thing really, really well. So you brought it all the way back, Mary. Like it's, you brought it all the way back to like where we started here talking about growth and scale. And I think we're both kind of saying something similar and saying strategy first, then tactics. Strategy first defines where you're going, starts to get you some decision criteria as well as What are we looking for to move our businesses forward? Well, and I love that that's your philosophy there. I know you're out counseling both clients and prospects alike through some of this process because a lot of them haven't had the luxury of doing it for a while. And so you're reminding them how that part works. And uh, we're just really grateful that you take good care of everybody and help them have a healthier business. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a great opportunity to get to do it. Thanks for joining us again, Paul. I never get tired of talking business growth and business strategy with you. Listeners, if you want more of Paul's wisdom, check out the resources in today's show notes. And until next time, rates will do what rates will do. And yet there is always market activity. So maybe you can make some time and Nohita around in your marketplace a little bit. Find out what needs to be done out there. Then be brave and give it a try. What have you got to lose, really? You probably don't have to reorganize the entire workflow of your shop. You likely don't need to buy big, new, expensive tools. Just figure out where there are points of friction for your realtors, your lenders, your consumers, heck, even for your staff, and solve for those items. Someone will be delighted that you did. And while you're being curious, 
you might just find a little new fun in what it is you do, which would be great because what you do, it really does matter. <laughs>